Welcome to the WWE Podcast. The most passionate and authentic wrestling analysis on the web. We've got you covered with every Raw, SmackDown, and NXT show. Giving you a no-bullshit opinion. We know you love wrestling. We do, too. So let's get this show underway. And that's the bottom line. What? Because Stone Cold Simpson! Hey guys, what is going on? And welcome to WWE Rivalries with your host, yours truly, Anthony DeMarco. So it is Friday, September 14th? Yeah, no, wow, September 18th. Wow, I am way off with my days. That's what happens when you work night shifts and weekends like I do. Your schedule just kind of goes upside down. So, um, welcome you guys, and uh, this week it's a kind of a special edition of Rivalries, as it's not between two wrestlers or superstars, it's between two factions, and that's right, we're going all the way back to 2001 in the rivalry between Team WWF and the Alliance, and uh, you know, this, this is a, a special rivalry for me, I think that 2001 was one of the best years in wrestling for a lot of reasons, even though many felt that the uh, this rivalry and this invasion angle was lackluster in a lot of ways, I still do feel like it was extremely important, the climax of a lot of superstars' careers, uh, the breakout year for a lot of guys as well, and yeah, I just think it's... Um, it's very important to go back and touch on a time in wrestling that changed the path for a lot of guys. But before we get into that, um, as I always do, I just want to give a couple of my quick thoughts on the current product and give my opinion on some things. So we'll start with SmackDown, and I gotta say, I am a real big fan of SmackDown right now. SmackDown feels really good. It feels like they're hitting it out of the park with a lot of storylines. Maybe save for the whole heavy machinery, Ms. Morrison thing. But even that, it's not too, too bad. You know, I, I just kind of wish that Otis didn't have the Money in the Bank briefcase, or else it would be kind of a decent, lower card, comedic storyline. But even that isn't too bad. The mid card looks really strong right now. I love what they're doing in the IC title picture. Sami Zayn coming back has added a real nice breath of fresh air into that mix. AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, I'm expecting, I think as many are, a triple threat match for the Intercontinental Championship at Clash of Champions. So that'll be cool. I like what they're doing with um, Sheamus and King Corbin. I think they have established themselves really nicely as upper card heels. And, um, well, what can you say about... Roman Reigns and the slow burn heel turn. I think that his matchup with Jey Uso at the upcoming pay-per-view is just going to be yet again another stepping stone of him going completely over to the dark side, a la Star Wars, going from the Jedi to the Sith. And uh, I think Matt has touched on this a bit as well, that it's really cool that they're taking the slow, methodical approach, approach to this as opposed to the swift 180-degree heel turn. So, you know what? I, I really got to give WWE credit on the SmackDown side of things. Obviously, Paul Heyman has helped in that regard, both on screen and reports are that he has had a, a hand in creative as well. 
since returning, and you can see it. As well as the Bailey thing, like I thought she cut an A plus promo as per usual. I'm really looking forward to that um, that program whenever Sasha Banks does return. As for Raw, look, look, Raw isn't bad, but it's really starting to get redundant. Like for me, I was super excited for the Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre program. It has since felt very cooled off for me. I Like I said last week, I love Keith Lee, but I just do not really get why he is in this program. He's like the third wheel, and, and I know that they want to attach him to, to star power. I know they want to make him feel important, and he is a budding megastar in WWE. There is no doubt about that. But I, I just don't understand why he is in this program right now. He doesn't need to be in this program. The McIntyre and Randy Orton didn't need him to be in this program. I just feel like he would be better served elsewhere right now. Like, I, I still feel like he could have been the perfect yin to the Hurt Business as Yang. I, to me, that would have been a good feud. Um, uh, but in talking about the Hurt Business, I got to say, they are one of my favorite things going in WWE right now and my favorite part of Monday Night Raw. I got to say, I love it. I think it's one of the best factions they've done in quite a few years. What can you say about MVP? When he came back, I was really down on him. I trashed him a lot following his return at the Royal Rumble. I didn't understand why they brought him back. I was never the biggest fan of him with his inaugural run with the company in the mid to late 2000s. But man, he has really made me shut my mouth. He is one of the best talkers in WWE right now. I would honestly say that as of right now, after Paul Heyman, MVP may be the best promo that WWE has going right now. He has made Bobby Lashley feel extremely relevant. He has brought... Shelton Benjamin out of obscurity since he returned to WWE in 2016. I think that this is going to do worlds for Cedric Alexander. I like the fact that they are a heel faction, but they they're badasses at the same time. Like I love that they came out and stood up to Retribution. I find their gimmick really cool coming out in the big suits, expensive gear, like the bling, like I love it. I love everything about it. I think it's one of the best things WWE has going right now. I'm really, really hoping that they put the tag team championships on them. I don't know if it would be Shelton and Cedric or Cedric and MVP. Obviously not Bobby as he has the US championship, but I really want them to get the tag team championships um, in the Hurt Business. So I'm looking for that, but I got to say kudos to WWE. They have done a masterful job building up that faction. Uh, another thing, I really like Nia and Shayna Baszler. I find them a really cool women's tag team. They're probably my favorite women's tag team champions since the belt got debuted in, what was it, early 2018? Yeah, about that. So two and a half years ago. So uh, I really like that they've made Nia feel relevant again. I don't hate her on my television screen. I think this was a nice change of pace for Shayna Baszler, who cooled really way off after her inaugural feud with Becky Lynch, um, entering WrestleMania 36. Yeah, 36. Uh, Look at me. I'm all messed up with my numbers today. Dates and WrestleManias. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to their, um, their match with the Riot Squad at Clash of Champions. 
And uh, I really like the women's tag team championship scene right now. Um, but on a side note, when t- speaking about the tag team division and the women's division, I've kind of thought something for quite a while now, given the lack of depth in each of those divisions. And to take it back to the Attitude Era, or Ruthless Aggression Era, rather, when they also had the brand extension and it was very abided by... I remember that they had the cruiserweights exclusively on the SmackDown brand and the women's division exclusively on the Raw brand. And they did have women on SmackDown and they did have some women's matches on SmackDown, but the Raw Women's Championship belonged exclusively to the red brand, like we saw with the cruiserweights on SmackDown. So given the lack of depth, in each of the tag and in both rather in both the tag and the women's divisions i'm kind of thinking that maybe wwe should do the same maybe send this the tag division over to smackdown and keep the women division on raw because i think what you're seeing now is a lot of cross promotional brand matches where we saw the bar not the bar cesaro and nakamura go up against the street profits there's pretty much no tag teams on Raw right now after the Street Profits because, you know, Air, Ivar got hurt, so the Viking Raiders aren't a thing anymore. Ricochet and Cedric Alexander broke up. Angel Garza and Andrade are no longer a thing. Even Zelina bailed on them. So I'm almost thinking that WWE may be trending to unifying the tag team belts. And if that's the case, I think the tag division should be exclusive to SmackDown. I think SmackDown for a long time has been the better and the stronger of the two in that regard. But then with the women's championship, it's the same type of thing. Because you see Asuka going up against the likes of Mickey James... And after that, on Raw, who could she really go up against? Natalia, been there, done that. Shayna and Nia, well, they're holding the tag team titles right now. Ruby Ryan and Liv Morgan, also a tag team at the moment. And you look on SmackDown and Bailey's going up against Nikki Cross for, what, the fourth time in the last couple months? We know that she's not going to win. Lacey Evans has really cooled off after a hot debut last year against Becky Lynch. Alexa Bliss seems preoccupied with a side storyline with The Fiend. So I I think WWE would be best served to at least consider making the women's division exclusively on Raw. Because if that's the case, you would have so many more opportunities for fresh matchups, more storylines. Like, look, I, I love Asuka as women's champion. I think she's one of the best in WWE right now, especially with Charlotte and Becky out. I think she's second to Bailey, But at the same time, she really has no one to tangle with right now. And even Bailey, after they, they do the Sasha program, who would really be next in line for that women's championship? So to, to close it out, I think WWE should really look to making... The tag division exclusive to SmackDown and the Raw division ex- uh, and the women's division exclusive to Raw, much like they did with the cruiserweights and the women's divisions back in the early to mid two thousands during the ruthless aggression era. So, enough of that. Let's get to the reason why you're here, and that is rivalries. And I'm gonna. I wanted to do this for a while 
with the alliance versus team WWF because as I said in the opening this was a key year for a lot of superstars specifically Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, Booker T, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Shane McMahon even. There's a lot of guys who benefited from this year even if the program as a whole was lackluster and it took up pretty much I would say eight months it it started in March and it and, and it culminated at Survivor Series in late November so it ate up the vast majority of the year 2001 so this really started at the build-up to WrestleMania 17 when Shane McMahon returned to face his father Vince McMahon and what happened was is that Vince was pretty much running roughshod on WWE or WWF at that time. And I don't know if you remember, but this is when there was the whole uh, Linda McMahon sedated angle when he, he she would get wheeled out in a wheelchair and she was supposedly hopped up on on meds and she couldn't um, how would you say? She couldn't respond to anything, and Vince was dating Trish. I remember there's that infamous scene of Linda sitting in the wheelchair on the top ramp of SmackDown and Vince and Trish making out in front of her. So Shane came back to, you know, fight for his mother's honor. So they come back, challenges his dad to a street fight, and they and that match happened at WrestleMania 17. And it was actually officiated by Mick Foley. But one thing that happened en route to WrestleMania 17 in real life was Vince McMahon buying WCW. And one of the most historic moments in the history of the wrestling industry, there was a simulcast between Monday Night Raw and the last ever WCW Monday Night Nitro. And it went something like this. Vince McMahon. Imagine that. Here I am on WCW television. How can that happen? Well, there's only one way. You see, it was just a matter of time before I, Vince McMahon, bought my competition. That's right. I own WCW. So therefore, in its final broadcast... Tonight on TNT, I have the opportunity to address you, the WCW fans. I have an opportunity to address you, the WCW superstars. What is the fate of WCW? Well, tonight, at a special simulcast, you will all find out. Because the fate, the very fate of WCW is in my hands. So what do you know? A special simulcast between WWF and WCW. And like Vince McMahon says, who would have ever thought? So later that night, Shane McMahon shows up on WCW Nitro and confronts his dad. And you have on one screen WCW Nitro with 
with Vince uh, with uh, Shane standing in the ring, and then you have Vince standing in the ring on Monday Night Raw, and Shane reveals that he is now the owner of WCW, and hence kicks off the invasion angle that we didn't really know what how it was going to go down, but this was really the kickoff right before their match at wrestlemania 17 so wrestlemania 17 comes and goes shane beats his dad in the street fight where he i believe that was the the debut of the coast to coast that shane mcmahon has used for the fall that shane mcmahon used for the following 19 years and still uses at to date um linda mcmahon stood up out of her wheelchair kicked uh Vince in the nuts, and then Shane beat him with the coast-to-coast, counted 1-2-3 by Mick Foley. But if you guys remember that match, which I really encourage you to go back and watch, or if you haven't watched it ever, do yourself a favor, watch it. But Shane McMahon came out and addressed the WCW wrestlers who were in attendance at the Houston Astrodome in Houston, Texas. But here was the thing, is that in real life, when Vince bought... WCW he didn't exactly get all the stars and we saw that when this angle started because it took a couple months for them to really kick off this angle they went through I believe all of April and May without the invasion angle really going at it but when it started I believe it really got going in at the beginning of June you you started seeing the WCW wrestlers show up, but it wasn't the ones you were hoping for. You were seeing guys like Sean Stasiak and um, Sean O'Hara and Chuck Palumbo and Billy Kidman. And then the only two real big names that you saw was Diamond Dallas Page and Booker T. Those were the only two guys that were like relatively big names coming over from WCW. And, you know, fans were kind of looking at, like, the guys that were showing up. And Buff Bagwell was another one, the infamous Buff uh, Buff Bagwell. But you, you, fans were watching and seeing all these guys. And they were kind of like, well, where's the NWO? Where's Ric Flair? Where's Goldberg? Where's Sting? Um, and... It was really unfortunate because for for years fans have dreamt about like dream matches and putting together to like big brawls and none of those big names were were showing up. And in real life what had happened was that WWE chose not to inherit those ironclad contracts that Time Warner was paying all these guys. So those guys stayed home and just collected money not to do anything. Uh, instead of wrestling for WWF. And eventually a lot of these guys came over. Like the NWO came over in 2002. Scott Steiner showed up in late 2002. Goldberg came over in 2003. Hell, Ric Flair even showed up in late 2001. He showed up right after the invasion angle closed, albeit not as a performer. But so... You, you saw these guys showing up, and while it was really cool to see these wrestlers showing up and invading the WWF, there was something left to be desired. And I think WWE realized that, because a bit into this invasion angle, they brought in the element of ECW. And at this time, if you guys don't remember, Paul Heyman was the color commentator to 
Jim Ross on Monday Night Raw. And I remember what happened was is that they the WCW guys were were beating up the WWF guys in the middle of the ring and a bunch of the WWF locker room came running out and stood toe to toe with the WCW guys and then turned on the WWF guys in the ring and just performed this massive beatdown. And these guys included the likes of Rhino and the Dudley Boys. But what do you know? Those were former ECW guys, and they joined the invasion angle, hence the alliance between ECW and WCW, which was later revealed that Stephanie McMahon was the new owner of ECW. So you had Shane owning WCW and Stephanie owning ECW. And while I thought it was cool that they brought ECW into the mix, obviously ECW had and continues to have a massive fan base i think wwf did this more out of necessity like vince and creative made this happen out of necessity because they just simply did not have the wcw star power to make the invasion angle plausible to make it realistic that these wcw invaders could overtake the wwf because in reality you had a lot of former ECW stars who were in WWF by the time this angle rolled around. Like I mentioned, you had Rhino, you had the Dudley Boys, you had a guy like Taz. Like these were all guys who had been in WWF for I at this point a couple of years and you had and they were former ECW guys and the crowd already knew them. There was name recognition because a lot of these WCW guys that came over they were mid to lower card guys. So if you were strictly a WWF fan at the time, like I was, or I believe like Matt was, and I'm sure like many of you guys were, you didn't know the lower card guys. You didn't know the mid card guys. Like even as a diehard WWF fan, I knew about Sting. I knew about Goldberg. I knew about the NWO. But you didn't know about Sean Stasiak and Chris Canyon. You didn't hear about these guys or the Disco Inferno or what have you. you know, so it was very important for WWF to make the fans care about the WCW side. And in doing so, they formed the alliance with ECW. And on another note, you had Paul Heyman sitting there. And by this point, I believe he had been on color commentary for about six months. And damn good at it, my dad. So you had Paul Heyman the visionary of ECW in your back pocket as well. So they went ahead with ECW. And look, I could be completely off. Maybe ECW was part of the plan the entire time. But I I just, I believe as just an opinion, and like I just said, I don't know this to be fact or not. I truly believe that creative did this just to legitimize the angle and if they had inherited the likes of the nwo and goldberg and sting and flair right off the bat they would have not have included ecw because at the end of the day ecw never really held a candle to wwf or wcw they were always just kind of like the ugly third stepchild in the i guess wrestling wars of the mid to late 1990s but nevertheless it was a good element given the cards that were dealt to the WWF and the and the talent they had at their disposal. So this angle starts and 
they build up to the Invasion pay-per-view, which happened in July of 2001. And I gotta say, I own this DVD. Yep, a DVD that I bought, I believe, in 2002. And I have to say, I've watched it over 50 times. (laughs) So I know this pay-per-view like the back of my hand. And I'll just give you the overview for this card. So it started with on Sunday Night Heat, which was always the pre-pay-per-view show, I bet, I guess, because Heat was recorded between before Monday Night Raw and would air on Sunday nights back in the day. So Chavo Guerrero, the Alliance, defeated Scotty Tuhati of the WWF. Edge and Christian defeated Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. Earl Hebner defeated Nick Patrick in a referee versus referee match. The APA defeated Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare of the Alliance in the tag team champions match of each brand. Billy Kidman defeated X-Pac. Raven of the Alliance defeated William Regal. Raven was another guy who had been in WWF for a while at that point, but was a former ECW guy. Chris Canyon, Hugh Morris, and Sean Stasiak of the Alliance defeated Albert Big Show and Billy Gunn. Tajiri defeated Taz. Rob Van Dam of the Alliance defeated Jeff Hardy in a hardcore match. Go back and watch that match. That was a hell of a fight. Trish Stratus and Lita defeated Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler in the oh-so-popular bra and panties match. God, I know Matt has talked about this quite a few times. Imagine having those types of matches nowadays. Wow. Um, would not go over well in the in the current political climate, that's for sure. And then the main event was the the WCW and ECW coalition that was Booker T, Bubba Ray Dudley, Devon Dudley, Diamond Dallas Page, and Rhino versus Team WWF, Chris Jericho, Kurt Angle, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Undertaker. So you hear both teams and... Obviously, if you go strictly by star power, the WWF was vastly outweighed the Alliance. And again, you look at Team Alliance and you have Diamond Dallas Page, Booker T, the Dudley Boys, and Rhino. The only true non-WWF guys in that on that team are Diamond Dallas Page and Booker T. Rhino and the Dudley Boys were WWF guys. And they had been ECW guys years before. So just in the main event itself, you saw that WCW and ECW were lacking their own star power. And just to say, when Diamond Dallas Page and Booker T are your two biggest names from WCW, given the names I have previously mentioned, it's unfortunate. But again, they were doing the best they could with the hands that were dealt and they had to use some actual WWF guys and play and book them as ECW guys and to be fair they were once upon a time and on the on the WWF side of things so obviously you have Undertaker and Kane who were very hot baby faces at this time they were the brothers of destruction the crowd loved them and Undertaker is the most WWF guy one of if of all time Then you have Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho, who I mentioned before really benefited from this angle because you got to remember at this time, Chris Jericho, Triple H rather, was out with injury. He had just got a a long-term injury to his his quad. The Rock was away filming the Scorpion King. So this really opened the door for these two guys to shoot up the ranks. 
And Stone Cold Steve Austin was in the midst of his heel run. He had just turned heel at WrestleMania 17 and formed with Vince McMahon. So the build to this match was really centered around the fact that Steve Austin couldn't be the old Stone Cold Steve Austin. I remember that was a theme, that Vince was pleading with Austin to be the old beer-drinking rattlesnake. Because for a couple months at this point, he had kind of been a kiss-ass to Vince McMahon. He was, whole, he was heel Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Vince was pleading with him to come back to fight for Team WWF because WCW and ECW were running roughshod on the whole operation. So on the go-home Raw to the Invasion pay-per-view, a massive brawl takes place. A massive brawl. And WCW and ECW are really taking it to Team WWF. And during this Raw, you saw clips of Stone Cold Steve Austin at a local bar. And what happened at the end of this Raw may be the biggest pop in wrestling history. And I'm going to give you guys a listen. Is there anything better than listening to Jim Ross when Steve Austin makes an, an epic entrance into Monday Night Raw? He would just always lose his mind. So yeah, as you heard, uh, WWF was getting their asses beat. Um, the Undertaker, Kane, Kurt Angle, and Chris Jericho were being outmatched by ECW and WCW guys. And before Austin made his way to the ring, he actually showed up in his pickup truck went intercepted a few brawls going on backstage beat up wcw and ecw guys en route to the ring and he shows up and he clears the ring he stone cold stunners about four or five different guys and really sets the tone heading into invasion so 
The inaugural brawl, which is what it was called, the five-on-five match, main events, the Invasion pay-per-view. And it's a really good match. I really encourage you guys to go back and watch this because it wasn't a typical five-on-five elimination. It was first fall to the finish. That was it. First fall wins the match. So it really set up for, you know, a lot of suspense throughout it. And because I think sometimes in five versus five elimination matches, it sometimes gets a bit saturated because you know that they have to get a certain amount of falls in at certain checkpoints and time checkpoints in the match. So the fact that it was like first fall wins, it really set up anticipation, at least for myself. So the invasion main event ends with WWF surprisingly losing Stone Cold Steve Austin to Team Alliance. Yeah, Vince McMahon and Creative doubled down on the Austin heel turn in 2001. And when it looked like Kurt Angle had the match won for Team WWF, he had Booker T in an ankle lock after giving him the angle slam. Austin comes in the ring, Stone Cold stunners Kurt Angle, pulls Booker T on top and gives the Team Team Alliance, rather, the victory. And turns heel, joins Shane, Stephanie, and Paul Heyman as a member of the Alliance. Closes out the Invasion pay-per-view. Drinking beer, pouring beer on Vince McMahon. And it was it was really something. And a side note about that match. That match was the Kurt Angle show. I gotta say, if you go back and watch that. Because at the end of that match, all hell kind of broke loose. Like it was just a big brawl. Like DDP and Undertaker fought off into the crowd. And they had a really cool underlying uh, feud going on during this whole angle. As well as DDP was stalking the Undertaker's then wife. So they went fighting off into the crowd. Into the backstage area. Kane got double suplexed through a ta- the announce table on the outside. Jericho sent himself and Rhino through the table on the outside. And Kurt Angle, I gotta say, he really, really shined in this match. And towards the end, it was the Kurt Angle show. Like I said, ends with Austin turning heel and joining the alliance. And again, to kind of build off what I said earlier in the program, I think WWE did this and creative did this because of the lack of star power on the side of WCW. Because as I mentioned previously, when your top guys are Booker T and Diamond Dallas Page, and that's to say to not not to shit on DDP and Booker T because they were great guys for WCW and Booker T specifically had a really solid run with WWE um, in the succeeding decade. But at the end of the day, Booker T and Diamond Dallas Page at this time were on the level of the upper mid-card guys that WWF had. You know, they were on the same level of guys like Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho. And albeit that Chris Jericho and Kurt Angle were in this match, but when you have the likes of The Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock who would return two weeks after this match, there was just simply no matchup. So I think that is why... You saw Stone Cold Steve Austin make the jump to WCW. WWE's creative doubled down on his heel turn in 2001 and made the switch to the heels brand and the alliance. So, like I said, The Rock makes a return two weeks later on Monday Night Raw as Vince McMahon lifts his suspension. And The Rock comes back. 
He is lobbied by both uh, Shane McMahon and Vince McMahon to join the respective brands in the Alliance or Team WWF. And The Rock chooses Team WWF as he rock bottoms Vince McMahon, looks like he's going to join the Alliance, then rock bottoms Shane and gives him the people's elbow and then makes his proclamation that he is back to lead Team WWF. So what do you know? Once again, like had been the case so many times, The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin are somewhat pitted against one another. And they didn't really engage in in a head-on-head feud at this time. But The Rock was leading Team WWF, and Stone Cold Steve Austin was leading Team WCW. But you got to remember, at this time, there were two world championships, the WCW Championship and, and the WWF Championship. So you head into SummerSlam 2001, and Kurt Angle and Stone Cold Steve Austin clash for the WWF Championship, which Stone Cold Steve Austin retains, and The Rock goes up against Booker T., for the WCW championship. And I got to say the Rock versus Booker T was one of the more underrated feuds and isn't talked about a lot because it kind of got lost in the shuffle during the whole invasion angle. But I got to say they had some pretty good interactions and I'm going to give you a sneak peek or I'm going to give you a listen rather on their first ever encounter on an episode of SmackDown. And man, I got to say, this is pretty damn funny. Who am I? Who am I? I'm the WCW champion, sucker. SummerSlam? Oh yeah, I'll be there. What are you going to be there for? What, does somebody need to park their car outside the building? (laughs) You didn't say that. Tell me you did not. (laughs) Yeah, so as you guys just heard, The Rock... uh, Goes toe-to-toe with Booker T, and this kind of kicks off their feud, which came to a head at SummerSlam 2001. So you had The Rock challenging Booker T for the WCW Championship, and uh, Kurt Angle challenging Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF Championship in pretty much the co-main events of SummerSlam 2001. But while this is going on, they were actually really pushing Rhino as a legitimate, maybe not main event guy, but an upper mid-card guy, because like I said, they were really trying to get legitimate stars on the alliance side of the fight to match up against WWF guys. And at this time, Rhino and Chris Jericho were engaged in a feud, and they actually went head-to-head at SummerSlam 2001. So on another Raw leading into SummerSlam, you had Booker T, Shane, uh, Stephanie McMahon, and... Rhino, who had almost become kind of like the bodyguard or sidekick to Stephanie McMahon, who was the co-leader of the Alliance alongside her brother Shane. 
So while they're cutting this promo, they are interrupted by The Rock and Chris Jericho. And I know I'm maybe giving you guys a bit too much audio as opposed to my usual shows, but (laughs) there are just so many underlying segments during this invasion angle that were just so damn funny. And one thing that I feel like got lost in the sauce was The Rock and Chris Jericho's chemistry alongside one another and actually eventually going head-to-head against one another during this time in the WWF. But on this particular night, they were both standing side-by-side, and I gotta say, they had some funny chemistry going on at the expense of Stephanie McMahon. was a good one but you're forgetting one half of the family i mean look what's standing in the ring right now you've got a man beast and a hose beast i mean we're dealing with the core and the hose understands this one, Chris. This is a little rhyming contest between you and The Rock. Well, The Rock has got one better than that. Oh, yeah, The Rock has got one better than that. Here's a little rhyme. Here's Booker T and Shane, the punk-ass sucker, and the Silver Spoon, mother bugger. So as you guys heard, they really destroyed Stephanie McMahon, who I believe at that time had 
just got breast implants or something. I know there was a graphic that Chris Jericho had earlier showed of a before and after side shot of Stephanie McMahon. But we won't go too much into that. But uh, yeah, The Rock and Chris Jericho really had great chemistry at this time. And Chris Jericho has talked about numerous times about how much he enjoyed working with The Rock. So The Rock wins the WCW Championship at SummerSlam. Stone Cold Steve Austin retains the WWF Championship. So now you have the leader of Team WWF with the WCW Championship, and you have the leader of WCW ECW with the WWF Championship. So kind of contradictory a bit, but uh, it was a pretty cool angle that they had. The The following pay-per-view at Unforgiven, The Rock retains his WCW Championship against Booker T and Shane McMahon in a handicap match, and Kurt Angle actually wins the WWF Championship against Stone Cold Steve Austin for his second ever WWF Championship win. But as this is going on, you kind of start to see a bit of tension on the WWF side of things. Chris Jericho and The Rock, who were pretty much almost like the co-leaders at this point, uh, along with Kurt Angle, really start to go head-to-head with one another. And at No Mercy 2001, Jericho actually defeats The Rock for the WCW Championship. And at the same pay-per-view, Austin regains the WWF Championship against Kurt Angle and Rob Van Dam in a triple threat match. And during October and early November, Kurt Angle actually makes the jump and turns heel and joins the Alliance. And again, I think this was... This had to do with the lack of star power on the side of Team Alliance. I really do believe that because now that The Rock was back and you still had The Undertaker and Kane on that side and Chris Jericho was really on a meteorotic rise at this point, as was Kurt Angle. And like I said, these two guys, Angle and Jericho, were the two biggest beneficiaries of this of this whole invasion angle and the whole feud between the Alliance and the WWF. I I think that even though the Alliance had Stone Cold Steve Austin and you had Booker T and Diamond Dallas Page, that the star power on WWF was just still too big. And they made Kurt Angle jump to the Alliance. And The Rock regains the WCW Championship back from Chris Jericho on a Monday Night Raw in late October, I believe. And along the way, those two actually won the Tag Team Championships. So it was a really love-hate relationship between Y2J and The Rock. And now that Angle was on Team Alliance, much was the same between Kurt Angle and Stone Cold Steve Austin. So you're entering into Survivor Series season with Angle and Austin leading the Alliance, The Rock and Jericho leading Team WWF, and both of those teams of leaders are really having some internal problems so with survivor series right around the corner and survivor series it always has as the pre always has the previously mentioned five on five elimination matches vince mcmahon throws down the challenge against stephanie and shane and i'm gonna give you a sneak preview into the five versus five winner take all match between Team Alliance and Team WWF.
will finally survive. It's winner take all. Winner, winner take all. You want to put it all on the line? You're on. One match, winner take all. The WWF stays in business or the Alliance stays in business. My God. My God, what is this? So, again, at this time, just an excellent promo package to the 5-on-5 winner-take-all match at Survivor Series 2001. So, it was Team Alliance, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, Rob Van Dam, Booker T, and Shane McMahon versus Team WWF, The Rock, Chris Jericho, Kane, Undertaker, and The Big Show. And, obviously, the the battlefields are more even at this point. Um, I think that even though the team WWF still had more star power and the better team, you know, you had Stone Cold, Steve Austin, Kurt Angle on that side to bring up the star power of Team Alliance, Booker T and Rob Van Dam. Rob Van Dam in particular was an up and coming star at this point and Shane McMahon. But again, Team Alliance, there's really only two guys who were non-WWF guys on that team with Rob RVD and Booker T, but was still a very good match. Uh, came down to The Rock and Chris Jericho versus Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kurt Angle. And um, 
what happens is the Jericho gets eliminated and he actually turns on the rock and he gives him a, a face buster. It, w- it was pretty much exactly like the Miz's skull crushing finale that Jericho was using at this point, almost an, an identical move. So basically turns on team WWF and when it looked like the Alliance had the match won because the match eventually came down to the rock and stone cold Steve Austin shocking, <laughs> Um, the referee was down. Kurt Angle runs out seemingly to help Austin seal the deal for the Alliance. Dex Austin over the head with the WWF Championship belt, who groggily takes the hit and ends up getting a rock bottom from The Rock, obviously. And The Rock gets the 1-2-3 to seal the deal for Team WWF. Vince McMahon comes on the stage and gloats with his fists raised in the air. Hence, closing the invasion angle. And in you and you heard in the build that Vince McMahon was saying that an Alliance member was going to be defecting over to the Team WWF. Well, it turned out to be uh, Kurt Angle. And so that closes the, the book on the invasion angle, on the Alliance as we know it. And like I said, a few guys really took off following this angle, specifically Chris Jericho and Kurt Angle, who in my mind legitimized themselves as main event players after this entire program. Because Kurt Angle had already had a run as WWF champion that he won the championship in late 2000 and lost it at uh, No Way Out 2001. But he kind of went back into the mid card following that. And he got a chance to be a main event player in this whole angle. And the same goes for Y2J. And many feel like Y2J got this opportunity because Triple H missed this entire program and this entire angle with the Alliance. But hey, he was in the right place at the right time. And look, the following month, he won the first ever Undisputed Championship in the four-man tournament between himself, The Rock, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and Kurt Angle. And look, going into that pay-per-view at Vengeance, uh, I think Chris Jericho was the least likely to win the Undisputed Championship. So maybe it was a swerve, but this was the real coming-out party for Chris Jericho. And I think even though maybe the program and the angle as a whole was lackluster because it lacked the NWO. It lacked Scott Steiner, Goldberg, Ric Flair, Sting, all those guys. It really meant a lot for the likes of Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho and even Rob Van Dam. Booker T got showcased a lot because he was pretty much the main WCW guy. So, Look, it wasn't great for a lot of reasons because I feel like wrestling fans missed out on a lot of dream matches. But in the end, you know, we got a lot of the dream matches we were so hoping for. Like, we got The Rock versus Hulk Hogan. We got Triple H versus Goldberg. Maybe not the time and in the setting we wanted, but eventually we got them. We just had to wait a bit, and it had nothing to do with the invasion angle. So look, guys, as a whole, I enjoyed the invasion angle, especially given the cards that WWE was dealt at the time. They couldn't have done much better. Again, would I have liked to see Austin and The Rock fight side by side for Team WWF against the likes of Goldberg and the NWO? Of course. But look, you know, the real life circumstances prevented it from happening. And I think 
given those circumstances, Vince McMahon and creative did the best that they could. And like I said, we got to see a lot of guys get opportunities they otherwise wouldn't have. Because look, you think the Angle and Booker T and Van Dam and Jericho would have gotten those opportunities and showcased like they did if the NWO and Goldberg or even Triple H were around? No, probably not. So I, I think that for a lot of reasons, it was almost good that those guys didn't come over right away. But uh, look, guys, I appreciate you listening to me again. I know this is a bit longer of an episode than usual. I know I played a bit more audio than I typically do. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I just feel like given the length and the different characters that were involved in this pay- in this um, in this program, that it was needed to give you guys some insight and some funny moments on what transpired over the eight-month run of this feud between the Alliance and Team WWF. And uh, look, I've gotten your request for future uh, rivalries as well. I got one for Guerrero versus uh, Rey Mysterio. I got one for Eddie versus Kurt Angle. And I will be getting to those. I just had this one in the back pocket I wanted to do. So if you have any more suggestions, either at me on Twitter at adamarco25 or email Matt at Podcast or get him on Instagram, feel free to reach out. I love hearing from you guys. And I really hope you enjoyed uh, this one of the Alliance versus Team WWF. So, you know, guys, you enjoy your weekend and I'll talk to you next week.